This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody, it's so good to be with you. We are in a series called Lift Up Your Eyes Exhaustively for a few weeks, focusing on Psalm 121. But before we get started today, I want to ask you a question. It's real simple. Are you planning on attending an Easter service? Just you, personally. Are you planning on doing that? I was reading, and there was a study done. They literally just asked this question. Are you planning? This is just... The people in our community, are you planning to attend? And you know what we found out? Six out of ten said no. Six out of ten said no. It's a remarkable amount of people, right? They're saying, no, I'm not planning on being at church. So let me put it in context for what that looks like for us. Albemarle has around 16,000 residents. That means 6,400, 6,400 people will likely be in church, but around 9,600 people are not planning on attending church at Easter. Now this is why this is important, and I want to point it out. Because when they did this study, they followed up with one question if people said, no, I'm not planning on coming. And here's what they asked. Would you attend an Easter service if somebody invited you? If you were invited by somebody, would you come? And you know what they found? Four out of five people said yes. Four out of five people said, if somebody I knew, somebody I knew that loved me, and it wasn't just because they were trying to get a certain number or it wasn't just because like, they had some play and their kids were in it. it, it just, th- they invited me to come and to be with them. Then four out of five said, yeah, let me put that in context for you here in Albemarle. Out of the 9,600 people not planning to attend church this Easter, 7,680 people would attend church if someone would just invite them to come. I mean, we're talking thousands of people that we, as a leadership team, don't come in contact with. That you come in contact with. So let me just spend a few moments as we get started today talking about inviting. Because I love to coach you. Later on, as you walk out, we're going to give you these invite cards. They have all the information about Easter week for us, okay? It's a good way to invite somebody to come to church with you. But let's talk about how to give a good invitation. A good invitation can use social media. That's where you get on your Facebook or you get on your Instagram and you put, hey, I would love for you to come to church with me. I'm going to be at Vortex or I'm going to be at this service. And we always encourage you to use a hashtag. Why do we do that? Because if you use the hashtag, some of y'all look at that and go, that's the pound sign, right? Because you don't know what that is, okay? It's the... (laughs) It's, it's not. It's a hashtag. And on social media, that makes that searchable. So they can click on that and then see the other people that have posted the same thing. Okay, But that's only a good invitation. It's not a great invitation. So let's talk about what it means to, 
to give a great invitation, the first thing that I'd say is that you need to text or call somebody you love. It needs to get personal. See, the thing about those invitations is that's a broad net. And we like to think that we've informed somebody about something going on in our life and we post it on social media, but the truth is, is that your, your social media posts only last for about 15 minutes unless it gets engaged with by other people. So just because you put it out there doesn't mean that people heard it. We need to get personal. Text or call somebody you love. Just call them up and say, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. And you may be saying, but I don't know who to invite. Well, number two, invite what I call the three knots. Okay? These are three categories of people that are highly receptive to an invitation to come to church. The first category is they were not expecting that. I mean, obviously, there's some bad things that happen in life that we just, we weren't expecting that. Lost my job, okay? Or, you know, a tree fell on the house. I mean, but it's not always bad. Sometimes it's good. They found out unexpectedly that they were uh, pregnant and expecting a baby. Just that shift in life. They were not expecting that. Here's another one. Things are not going well for them. You know they're struggling in their marriage. You know they're dealing with depression. You, you know that things are really d- tough for them in their business. It's a, those are great people to invite. And then, the, I think the most obvious one that we should be looking at, they are not in church. You got some people in your life that you love. You care deeply for them, but they're not in church. Invite them to come to church. And then what do we do? When we've given them the invitation, we've gotten personal. Number three, host somebody for a service. Well, what do you mean host? Well, here's what I mean by hosting somebody. If you invited somebody to come over to your house, you said, hey, you know, come over. We're going to watch the game together. We're excited about it. If they'd never been to your house, you'd meet them out front. Hey, how you doing? Glad you found it. You know, come on in. Come on in. Right there's the bathroom. You need something to drink? Let me go get you a drink. All right, come in here, sit with me. We'll watch the game together. Do the same thing here. Meet them in the parking lot. Help them find some coffee. Help them get their kids checked in. Then walk in and sit with them in a service. Host somebody. Host them. Treat. This, is, this isn't my house, okay? It's ultimately God's house, but it's our house together. Treat it like it's your house, like you're hosting somebody. And we got a lot going on throughout the what we call Holy Week, okay? The, the space between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. There's a lot going on. I'm just going to go through this real quickly. All right, Palm Sunday, we're going to be here normal times, 9 and 10.30, but we're opening the downtown location at 10 a.m. Then throughout the week, that's actually the week where First Wednesday is supposed to happen. All right, great. We love First Wednesday. Now, we're going to bring... The, the moment of the Holy Week into First Wednesday. Wednesday night was the night that Jesus had the Last Supper. And there's some stuff about Last Supper that we don't understand often as Christians because you only see it through a Jewish perspective. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that that Wednesday. We're going to talk about what was really happening at the table with Jesus that night. What was happening with Passover. And then Jesus was crucified on Friday. So we've got Good Friday coming up. Good Friday is important. We remember the cross. Okay? We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And then it all culminates again on Easter. So both of those two midweek things are at our downtown location, okay? And we've got different times. And then for Easter Sunday, all right, 9, 10.30 here, 10 o'clock at our downtown location. Now, I want to say this because I need y'all to hear me. When we've approached Easter before, I've been like, I need everybody to come to the first service. And you know what everybody did? They came to the first service. <laughs> and then we've been like, all right, I need you to do this or do this. And, and you know what, everybody? They do exactly what we ask every time. You're the easiest church in the world to lead. I'm so thankful for that. But here's what I can't do this time. I can't go, hey, could you please everybody go to the same service? I can't do that. Because if y'all went to downtown, it'd flood. If y'all went to the first service here, it'd flood. If y'all went to the second, it doesn't. Here's the thing. Pray about it. Think about it. Find the right service for you. Okay? Can I, can I give you some advice? If you've been trying to invite somebody and they say, hey, you know what? I, I, I'd love to go, but it's a big crowd and I get a little nervous. Invite them to come to downtown with you. It'll be a smaller crowd. Okay? Invite them to come to if you're inviting somebody and you know they're a little older, they get up earlier in the morning than you do, get them to come to the 9 o'clock with you. If you're inviting somebody who has never been to church, ever, they've never come to church. And I know that we think about in our, in our community, there are people who have never come to church before. Listen, we got somebody leading in kids today who before she came to church here had never been to church you got somebody in your life who's never been to church. You know the prime time? 10.30 Easter Sunday. That's when you invite them. Okay? Pray about it. Find the right moment. And then engage. Be there. And I want to just remember, it takes about 7 to 10 invitations before people respond. You know, it takes about 3 or 4 before they realize you're inviting them because you love them. You know, first couple of times it's like, yeah, y'all just trying to get a big crowd. I don't want to be one of those. But eventually, oh, okay, you know, I get, I, you really do want me to be there. And then, you know, about five or six, they start to see, well, you really do, you, you care about me. It takes about seven to ten before people will say yes. What happens, many of us get, we just give up after two or three no's. Can I give you some advice? I told our launch team this, and this has helped me throughout my life. There are people in the room because I believe this, and I invited them. Don't say no for somebody else. There are people that in our minds, we go, they're going to say no. If I ask them, they're going to say no. I asked them before. They said no. I'm, I'm, no, listen to me. Don't say no for somebody. Invite. God will do something with it. Now today, we're going to continue in this series. And what I want to do is I want us all to stand as we, we look at God's Word together this morning. Would you do that? We're going to read together through Psalm 121. I'm going to read it at a, at a cadence that if you want to read along, you can read along with me. The words will be on the screen. But if you don't, just stand there and let's take a moment and honor the Word of God and give in a, in, in a space like this, just give God the opportunity through His Word to speak into our hearts. Psalm 121, beginning in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. 
He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let's take a moment and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It has stood the test of time. And still now, thousands of years later, these words are powerful for us today. And we ask you, God, to use this word, to speak into our hearts, bring freedom where we need freedom, bring conviction where we need conviction. And God, provoke us to a next step of faith in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, have y'all ever fallen in love with a product that you can no longer get? You know what I'm saying? Like you find the perfect toothbrush and then you go back to get another one and they don't make it anymore, right? You love, I love that toothpaste. You can't get that toothpaste. I was thinking about this and really when I was 13 years, you know, a little pimple faced, you know, eighth grader, I started using a face wash. And last year I went to the store to go get some more of that face wash and they don't make it anymore. And I'm not going to lie. I was a little mad about it. Okay. Where's my face wash? Why don't you have my face wash anymore? And so I went online and I paid way too much money to get it because it's now discontinued. And I bought the last four or five bottles that I could find of it. Paid about five times. Now if you go online, you can't even find it at all. And I was looking at the little bottle. I've got the last bottle of it in the shower right now. It's about half empty. What do you do? What do you do when it's the last of it? You use it and then it has an end. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to spend some time explaining this. Number one, this is in your notes. You will have to navigate life with finite resources. You will have to learn to navigate life with finite resources. Now, we were going through this as a staff earlier this week, and one of our young leaders said, I like that word, finite. It's like, girl, you finite which is not really a compliment, just to be honest, okay? Because finite is an adjective, it's a modifier, it means having limits or boundaries, which means our resources in life have limits or boundaries. I wanna spend a moment expanding on that so that you can see this clearly. Walking through your life. See, as a child, your parents were a finite resource. This is why when we went to the store and we said, hey, mom, can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? Mom would say, no. What do you think I am made of? Money? No. I can't, I can't buy you everything. And for some of us, we experience the truth that parents are a finite resource because our time with them has ended. And for some of us, it was all too short. Your parents were or are a finite resource, but you 
are a finite resource to your kids. Which means now when we're taking our kids to the store and my youngest is going, Dad, can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get you? No, you can't. What do you think I am? Do you think I'm made of? No, I can't buy everything. Why? Because they think, well, it's unlimited. No, it's finite. And a good parent understands there's a limit to my wisdom, my experience, my attention, my time. In our day and age, we're discovering this, that our paycheck is a finite resource. <laughs> How many of y'all feel that? Right, you go to the store, you're like, $8 for a dozen eggs. What y'all talking about? I never thought. There's a lot more month at the end of the money for some of us. The paycheck is a finite resource. Your spouse, if you're married, your spouse is a finite resource. Your spouse is not an infinite source of attention, affection, or love. There's a boundary, a limit to their attention and their love. And it's true for you. Your time, talent, and treasure are limited. When we talk about resources, those are terms that we use. I want to spend a moment explaining that. Your time. This is, everybody gets 24 hours a day. We get your, you have a certain amount of time on this earth. Your time is limited. It's a gift from God. It's a resource given for you to manage. There's some people who are really good at managing their time. There's some people who aren't. It's hard to think this way, but it's true. Every person who's ever lived had the same amount of time in every day that you do. Thomas Edison, same amount of time. Walk through the greatest inventors, the greatest minds, same amount of time. The difference was how they used it. Talent. You have different amount of talent than I do. Some of you are gifted in areas that I'm not. You have a certain amount. And talent represents innate talent, stuff that I was born with. But it also represents skills that I've cultivated and grown. And then treasure. Treasure represents the money that God has placed in my hands, but it's also other things that money can't buy. These are my resources, and they are limited. Can I say this? This will help you out. You'll live a better life when you realize they are limited. When you accept the fact that there's a limit to your resources. See, number two, life is best lived when you respect and honor your boundaries. Your life has natural boundaries where your limits are. You only have so much time, attention, wisdom, skill, all of that. And you will live a better life when you respect and honor your boundaries. Most of us, however, don't live that way. We disregard our boundaries. And it's evident in one of the most simple exchanges we have. You see somebody out. How you doing? It's the most common question we ask right now. How you, how you doing? Everybody good? You know the most common answer for how you doing? We're busy. Just, just been busy. Just hear this. Busy is not a sustainable lifestyle. 
Because busy represents, I have boundaries, but I'm living beyond them. I'm living outside of my bound. I'm pushing my time commitments. I'm pushing my energy and attention commitments. I'm even pushing my financial commitments. I'm just busy. And it can happen in a lot of places. You can get busy in your marriage just doing a bunch of stuff. You can get busy with your kids, just active all the time doing something. You can get busy as a family. You can get busy within your company, within your work, within your career. Even you just personally doing a bunch of good stuff. You can get busy. But when we're busy, we lose sight of what we truly value. I don't think most guys that get lost in their careers while they have a family at home would say, I love my job more than I love my wife and kids. I don't think they'd say that, but if you look at how they're living, they're choosing work over their kids. And they might say, you know what, well, I'm, I'm providing or we, got, we need money and, and I can make more money by working a little bit more. But what you're doing is you're, you're choosing money over moments. And kids, they don't need more stuff. They need time. And I don't think that it's because we're bad people. It's just that we get into that ecosystem of work and all of a sudden we get busy in that. And all of a sudden our values start to become hard to distinguish. And we're saying, I'm going to stay late. And we're but that's not what I value. See, busy is actually just a priority statement, not an excuse. So when you get together with somebody, you're like, hey, how you doing? Well, you know, it's good. We need to hang out. Been so busy, but we really need to hang out. All right, here's the truth about that, okay? We say, I've been so busy, we need to hang out. What you're actually saying is everything that I've been doing is something that I practically value more than what I know we should do. And the reason that this is important is there are a lot of us in this room who will say things like, I've just been too busy to have that quiet time in the morning. Been too busy to sit down and pray about that. Been too busy to read my Bible. And when we say that, practically, what are we saying? just saying, listen, I value that more than I value this. So I'm going to give you some simple advice. Align your resources to your values. What are your resources? I told you already, your time, your talent, and your treasure. If we say, and most of us would say, the two greatest values I have are my family and my faith. If you look at how you allocate your resources, does it show up that way? Because you can overextend yourself. You can live outside the boundaries. And when you do, what happens? There's something that's inevitable to happen. And that's number one, you're going to burn out. You're going to come to the end of who you are and what you can do and hopefully not flame out. Because here's a very fixed reality. 
that many of us have not accepted. Number three, you have an end. You have an end. Now that's obviously true in the sense that there will be a day that I breathe my last breath. Outside of Jesus returning, every person in this room, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that appointed unto man is a time to live and a time to die. There's a time. There will be a moment. But it's pragmatically true in other ways. Let me ex just explain that. There's an end to your strength. A lot of us in the room, we're young, and we look at that box sitting on the floor, and we think, I can just pick that up and move it. But there will come a day when your strength will fail you, and you will look at the box and think, I can no longer pick you up. I got to call somebody younger. There's an end to your wisdom. You don't know everything. And there's a boundary, a very firm and fixed boundary to what you do know. There's an end to your attention. I can only see so much. I can only be there so much. I can only take care of so much. There's an end to my attention. There's an end to you. And this is for the best of us. The most capable. The brightest. So I want to go back and reread the middle two stanzas of this poem that we call Psalm 121. And then I want to make a few observations as we go through that. Beginning in verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. All throughout the, throughout the Hebraic text of the Old Testament, there's a concept that is embedded into it that God is present and that He is looking. There's a moment the prophet Elijah is coming face to face with a religious movement of a false god, Baal. The king has a wife who's kind of manipulated the religious system because she believes in Baal. And now there are prophets or priests of Baal that are everywhere. And Elijah's like, listen, it's a false god. I challenge you. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to both prepare an altar. We're going to both make a sacrifice. And whoever's God comes down and devours it in fire is the real God. It's bold. So he says, fine, hey, you guys go first. And there are, he's, it's just him. And there's a lot of them. And they prepare the altar. They prepare the sacrifice. And they're chanting and praying. And Elijah begins to kind of poke fun at them. Where's your God? Is he on the toilet? Did he need a potty break? Is that why he can't hear you right now? Is he asleep? Why is Elijah saying that? Because to a Hebrew, God never sleeps. His attention is never wavering. It's always transfixed on us, which is why Elijah in full confidence prepares the sacrifice, calls it, bring the water. 
pour water over it. Pour no more. Bring more water over it. And then all of a sudden, he begins to pray, and God comes down and consumes in fire the sacrifice, demonstrating before everybody that he's a real God. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. Think about it. God, in every moment, has been watching over your life. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. I'm going to make a few observations about this text as we wrap up today. And the first one is when we think about we, we are finite. I, I have boundaries. I want you to see this. Number one, God is an infinite source. Where there's an end to you, it is a holy space because it is in the space where I end that God becomes what I cannot be for myself. And some of us have never experienced God that way because we only try to live in our strengths. And we've never been willing to move outside into an insecure place where God says, no, I will be that for you. I'll just give you a few things that God is infinite for us as a source. Number one, God is an infinite source of strength. Not only is this of our physical body, but also our strengths. There are things that you're good at, but there are also things that you're weak at. And many of us don't examine that it's in our weaknesses that the power of God is available so that even though naturally I might be weak, God would show himself as strong. This is the idea that the Apostle Paul is sharing in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now understand this. He's not saying where I'm strong, I am strong. As a matter of fact, this is remarkably counterintuitive. It's not, I'm not safe in my strengths. Because in my strengths, I can do it all by myself. But in my weaknesses, where I'm relying on the strength of God, then it's either God shows up or I fall flat on my face. And you want to know what? God's not the one that fails. God will show up just like he did for Elijah, just like he's done for me. He'll do it for you. Psalm 62 verse 11 says, God has spoken plainly and I've heard it many times. Power, oh God, belongs to you. God is an infinite source of power. He's an infinite source of strength. Every other source that we look to is finite. God is an infinite source of strength. God is an infinite source of love. If you're married in here, you've got to get this in your heart. Because there's no spouse that can love you perfectly. 
There's nobody that can truly be the lover of your soul. Why? Because their attention, their affection, and their love is limited. They are a finite source. But God is an infinite source of love. Look at Psalm 62. God has spoken plainly, and I've heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love. Oh Lord is yours. Now y'all listen to me. Some of you have been failed by some love before because there was an, an end to somebody else's love when it came to you. You need to make sure you don't confuse what somebody has done to you compared to what God has done to you. God's love is unfailing. He will not fail you. He is an infinite source of love. God is also an infinite source of wisdom. There's an end to my wisdom, my experience, my knowledge, my advice. There are things that I don't know how to do, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever even know how to do it. But God is an infinite source of wisdom. He has wisdom for things that I've never even dreamed up as being problems. He already knows the solution before I knew it was a problem. God is an infinite source of wisdom. Romans 11 says this about him. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now listen, I love that, that second sentence. How unsearchable. It's as if the Apostle Paul was saying, if you could attach a Google search to the wisdom of God, you would never in all your years be able to pull out all that God has to give you. He's an infinite source of wisdom. God is also an infinite source of attention. An infinite source of attention. Now, there's some of you, when I share this today, there's freedom for you in this. Because you only feel safe when you're paying attention to something. My kids are only safe if I'm paying attention. My stuff is only safe if I'm paying attention. My employees are only doing a good job if I'm paying attention. All right, things are only going the right way with my spouse when I'm paying attention. But you know what the Bible says in this psalm that we've looked at? Psalm 121 verse 5. The Lord watches over you. There's an end to my attention. I can only pay so much attention before the bank account goes dry. God has limitless attention. Where we are limited, God is limitless. Where you are finite, God is infinite. And I want you to see this today. Number two, only in your weakness can you truly experience God as source. Only in your weakness. Too many of us have tried to only experience God in our strengths. God, look at what I can do. Look at how awesome this is. God, don't you love it when I do this? But you can really only know God as source in your weaknesses. When I get out of the stuff that I'm good, but there's an end to me. There's an end to my strength. There's an end to my wisdom. 
And it's there in the place where there's an end to me that there's this holy intersection between my incapability and God's capacity. Think about it. God has infinite strength, infinite wisdom, infinite attention, infinite love. And if you think about what is strength, wisdom, attention, and love, what does that culminate into? It culminates into protection. Can I just say this? There's freedom when you realize you cannot by yourself protect that which only God can give you. There are a lot of us that get into the beginning of praying, God, would you give me that job? Would you give me that spouse? Would you give me that kid? God, would you give me that business? And you pray over it at the beginning, and God blesses with you, you with it, and then all of a sudden you get in the middle, and you think the only way this is going to work is if I hold it all together. But there's a truth. In God is infinite source. God is not only creator, He is also sustainer. God doesn't just start something. He also keeps it going. The beginning of Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote what's considered the high Christology, which opens the book. And in verse 17, referencing who Jesus is, he said this, God's Son was before all else, and by Him, Everything is held together by Him. Your marriage is not held together because you've got optics on everything that's happening. Your marriage is held together by Jesus Christ. Your kids are not held together because you're seeing everything, controlling everything. They're doing everything. People are interacting with them the way you... They're held together because Jesus holds them together. Your home is held together by Jesus. Your finances are held together by Jesus. It is in Him that everything is held together. And there's a special freedom that comes when we accept that there's a limit to me. But after my limits, God shows up to be what I cannot. There's an end to myself. So number three, when you come to the end of yourself, look up. This psalm begins... I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When the writer said, I lift up my eyes to the mountains, what he's saying is I lift up my eyes to the very place that God met with Moses, where the Ten Commandments were written. This is a holy place. I lift up my, I get my eyes off my problems. I get my eyes off my situation. I get my eyes off of my spouse. You're not the one who can love me. I get my eyes off of my friends it's not about you and I get it up and I lift it up you're not listen sometimes our eyes are on me you're not the solution to your problems your friends your spouse they're not the solution to your problems either lift up your eyes Get in your perspective, God, because until you surrender to Jesus Christ, your weaknesses are the end of you. You'll never know a life that extends beyond your weaknesses. 
Your life is limited. Yourself is limited. You are limited by your weaknesses. But surrender to God. He overcomes our limitations. I want you to hear this. I believe people are supposed to look at our lives and go, there's no way in the world they should be able to do that. I got friends from elementary school that I'm pretty sure look at what I'm doing now. And they're like, how is that kid doing that? I remember when that kid is over in the corner picking his nose and not doing any work. How in the world? And I can go, listen, there was a lot of limitations where the Lord met me. I didn't think I'd ever speak publicly and lead or all of these other things. But surrendered to God, He overcomes our limitations. You have an end to yourself. You do. There's an end to your strength. There's an end to your wisdom. There's an end to your attention. There will come an end to your life. And God, through His love, has positioned himself to overcome your limitations. Can I speak to one of those before we wrap up? Every person in this room has one limitation that is the same. You might be somebody who's in the room. I love Jesus and I read my Bible every day and I come to church and serve and we give real big and we, we go and serve the community and we, we do all these other things to try to make a difference in people's lives. But I want you to understand You can do all that good stuff, but it'll never save you. There's not a person in this room that can save themselves. And God knew that. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came to live the life that you couldn't live, to die the death that you couldn't die, to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself to save you. The Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. We've all been sinners. We've all broken the the commands of God. And we earned, in that sin, we earned death. The wages of sin is death, but it finishes. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not my friend, Not the man I admire, my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. Maybe today you're here and you know, I've been trying to do some good things, but I have not surrendered my life to Jesus. Until you surrender, you will live under your limitations. You will not be able to access him as source. But once you've surrendered your life to him, there's a change that happens. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.